New technology can often come with dangers, downsides, and disadvantages. Deep fakes are a case in point. I'm Edward Siegel, a leadership strategy senior contributor for Forbes.com and author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. Deep fake videos make it appear that someone said something they never said. This form of disinformation has the potential to create a crisis for individuals, companies, organizations, and governments. My guest today is Matthew F. Ferraro, a cybersecurity attorney and an expert on deep fakes. He counsels clients, writes, and speaks on the threats that digital disinformation and deep fakes pose to corporations, brands, and markets. Earlier in his career, Ferraro was a U.S. intelligence officer. He held staff, policy, and operational positions at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the Central Intelligence Agency. Ferraro is a term member of the Council on Foreign Relations and a senior fellow at the National Security Institute at George Mason University. Well, welcome to the show, Matt. Hi, Rob. Great to be here. How long have deep fakes been around and how did they get started in the first place? Sure. Well, I guess we should start with the term. So the term deep fake comes from two words. It means uh, deep learning, which is a branch of artificial intelligence and the word fake. And when we talk about deep fakes, we should, we should say what they we're talking about. We mean a piece of uh, synthetic media and it can be videos, it can be audio, it can be text that is either manipulated or wholly generated by artificial intelligence. The definition that I walk around with in my head is that a deep fake is a very convincing media forgery created by computers. Now, so when did they get started? The term was first coined in late 2017, so pretty recently, uh, on Reddit by a Reddit user who used the word deep fake as his username. He was creating pornographic videos. Uh, uh, this is, of course, the internet after all, swapping people's faces out with others and putting you know, uh, someone's face on a nude body to create a pornographic image. And then it gained much wider distribution in 2018 when the director and actor Jordan Peele released a deepfake of President Obama. And in the video, President Obama is seen speaking and saying things he didn't say in real life. And he's actually warning of the dangers of manipulated media. It was really after that that the deepfakes took off. Can you share uh, more recent examples of how deepfakes have been used to try to fool people? Sure. Examples really run the gamut. Let me point to a couple. Some of them are just anodyne parodies, right? So there's a recent one out there that I quite like of Jerry Seinfeld appearing in the movie Pulp Fiction, a uh, deepfake of, of him, of Jim Carrey in the movie The Shining. Um, that would be sort of the most anodyne and innocent. The second is, unfortunately, non-consensual deepfake pornography is a major use case. So these are, again, images where a non-consenting person's face has been placed on a nude body to create a pornographic image. There was a study done some years ago that said 90% of deepfakes at that time online were of non-consensual porn. The third one, and one that might be interesting to an audience like this one involving national security, occurred in March of 2022, shortly after the beginning of the Ukraine war. And a deepfake circulated online that showed Ukrainian President Zelensky telling his soldiers to surrender 
to advancing Russian uh, soldiers. And no one was really tricked by that, I think it's fair to say, but it sort of pointed to the dangers of deep fakes in war and international politics. And the final example that I would give is in the marketplace. And we've seen a rise of the use of deep fakes to, to defraud people in, in you know, monetary frauds. One example was in Hong Kong in January of 2020. A bank manager received a call from the director of a company whose voice he recognized. The caller asked the banker to wire $35 million to fund an acquisition. And the bank manager did so. Only later did he realize that it was a deep voice, which is analogous to a deep fake video, an impersonation of the person who was calling him. And then even more recently, we've seen online these sort of pump and dump schemes where videos uh, purportedly of Elon Musk and of others encouraging people to buy cryptocurrency, uh, where it looks like what they're, it looks like an advertisement, but in fact, it's a phony video. Are uh, bad actors trying to get their footing with uh, deep fakes, or are they practicing to, uh, you know, do something even worse? Uh, are any worst case scenarios come to mind as about how much uh, real damage uh, deep fakes uh, could cause on a national or even international level? Sure, I think that this is a concern with a lot of people, and I would just say that the FBI as well has warned. We came out with a warning uh, in 2021. Uh, I believe it was 2021 warning companies that deepfake impersonation was on the rise. So I think that is a real concern in the marketplace. So internationally, the worst case scenario would unfold something like this. Imagine tensions are high on the Korean peninsula. Maybe the U.S. and South Korea are conducting joint military exercises. And then imagine as well that a bad actor has gained access to the White House Twitter account. And then a, a, a tweet appears on the White House Twitter account with a video uh, appearing to show President Biden announcing that because of some recently discovered North Korean perfidy, he was ordering the launch of a preemptive strike against Pyongyang. And then President Kim of North Korea sees this video, which has gone viral. And he's not sure it's true or fake. And he realizes it might even be false, but he can't take that risk. And so he then launches what he believes to be a counterattack on Seoul, which is only, what, 30 miles from the DMZ, and thousands of people die in the counterattack. And now the South Koreans in the United States feel like they do need to respond to this attack, and this le leads to a greater conflict in which thousands, if not millions, die, all because of a fake video. That would be the worst-case scenario. Uh, one other bad outcome, if I could, Edward, I would just add – is something that we're seeing already that isn't hypothetical. And that's the, the rise of, as deepfakes become more prevalent, of just doubt in all media. And we see this increasingly where people are able to just say, if a video shows them doing something that they don't like, they can just claim it to be a fake. And people can essentially choose their own adventure, whether or not to believe that or not. And I just actually wrote a piece with a colleague of mine about the rise of this phenomenon regarding courtroom evidence. People just saying, in court, you know, have you checked to see if that that video is a deep fake? Oh, you haven't. Well, maybe it's not so trustworthy. That's called the liar's dividend because the liar in this scenario just claims that the, the media is fake, and he sort of accrues this benefit, this dividend, by this generalized skepticism. So I, I would see see that as sort of the dangers coming down the pike. Well, given the real and potential damage that deep fakes can cause. Um, are any federal agencies getting involved in trying to do something about the problem? 
Yes, this is actually an area where I feel like there's a lot of skepticism and cynicism even about government action. And in the realm of deep fakes and synthetic media, I think we can say that the government is moving with some alacrity. As we just discussed, it was only a couple of years ago that these things uh, came into existence. So I'll point to a couple in response to your question. Like, you know, basically, the Congressional Research, Research Service has published a couple reports. If people are interested, uh, listeners out there, they could look them up. The Department of Homeland Security published a report in June 2019 on the increasing threat of deepfake identities. I did mention that FBI report that uh, it was a private industry notification advising companies about threat actors using deepfakes and synthetic media to impersonate companies. And then DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, has had two programs devoted to the detection of deepfakes. One is called the Media Forensics Program, and the other is called the Semantic Forensics Program. And Metaphor, the first, developed algorithms to automatically assess the integrity of media, photos, and videos. And the Semaphore Program develops algorithms that will automatically detect attributes and and characterize various deepfakes. So they're all sort of in on the game. I expect other agencies to develop similar approaches, which is a sort of combination of writing reports and funding research. What about taking action? Has uh, Congress in the House or the Senate, have uh, they held any hearings? Has any legislation been introduced? And what do you think uh, Congress will do um, um, under the leadership of, uh, of the new speaker and the Republican Party? It, it will be interesting to watch. And there have been uh, several hearings and then several pieces of legislation. I can give you a quick overview. The first uh, hearing on deepfakes was in June of 2019. That was by the House Intelligence Committee. And then a year later, in June of 2020, the House Energy Committee held another hearing on steps they should they should take to counter deepfakes. Uh, I went up to the Hill, I guess it was in May of 2022, for an off-the-record meeting with others in the AI space to talk to the Senate Homeland Security and Government Governmental Affairs Committee, the HISGAC, about AI and deepfakes and all those things. So there have been hearings, there have been a lot of interest, not just on deepfakes, but on sort of generative AI. This is the, you know, the use of data and algorithms to produce new things. Uh, on the legislative side, it depends a little bit how you count. But in my numbering, I sort of count four bills that have become laws on deepfakes. Then uh, they all require reports or fund research. And these are the 2020 and 2021 National Defense Authorization Act, something called the IOGAN Act, which required the National Science Foundation to write a report, and the America Competes Act, which directed the Federal Trade Commission to write a report uh, about that included an analysis of deepfakes and how it would affect the market. There were bills, several bills pending in the last Congress, the 117th. Uh, this included one to establish a deepfake task force that was out of the Senate. Uh, that was Senator Portman's bill. Uh, he has since left the Senate, so I'll see. It'll be interesting to see if it's reintroduced. And there was another one on preventing uh, intimate images. Again, this sort of deepfake porn problem that was introduced right at the end of the 117th Congress in December. So I would be interested to see if it was reintroduced. Uh, you would ask if I think it's going to what the new Congress is going to do. It's interesting because I, I actually think that there's political alignment on a lot of these issues uh, in Congress. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some movement. I think anything becoming law is always a little tricky, but something like a task force act where it would it would basically give this to worthies and experts to look at is something that I anticipate uh, at least being possible. I think any sort of federal bans 
would be harder to come by. I will point out, Edward, that this is we've seen a lot of activity on the state level already. Some uh, tw- uh, ten states, yeah, let me get it right. Ten states have have laws banning deepfakes of some kind or another, including major big states, population centers: New York, Florida, Texas, California. Now they vary. Some of those ban deepfake porn. In fact, most of them do. Uh, two states, Texas and California, ban the use of deepfakes to trick voters around an election. Uh, in certain circumstances, they have a lot of exceptions. And then two other states, New York and Louisiana, of all places, create property rights in people's digital likenesses called digital replicas. And I think that's going to be something, an area that's interesting to watch as people try to assert ownership claims over their own likeness in in the in digital spaces. You, know, you could lease out your likeness for a commercial or something like that, a TV commercial. So in any event, long answer, but there's a lot going on. It sounds like uh, the states are more aggressive and forward thinking than the federal government on this uh, issue. Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, it's a good question. I think part of it is it's just easier to get things through the states. Sometimes they don't have the same veto gates, uh, like a literal veto in the president, but also just veto gates of, of interest groups and the rest of it in in uh, Congress. Sometimes I think it also should be said that, of course, in our day-to-day lives, we're governed mostly by state law, right? If, if you're walking down the street, you're governed mostly by state law. So when it comes to things like harassment, uh, uh, privacy, issues like that, those tend to be regulated at the state level anyway. So that's more likely to uh, get through. And I do think that, uh, get through the, the, the legislative process, I do think the harms are so sort of recognizable, particularly when it comes to things like deepfake porn, right? I mean, like these are people who have not consented to this. This is a great violation of their dignity to make, made to look like you're in a pornographic video. It's just hard to find people who are going to argue in favor of it, I suppose, um, in favor of, uh, of that sort of material being legal. Uh, and then it's also interesting on, on the election stuff, and this could be a longer discussion because both Texas and California, as I said, have laws that bar deep fakes around elections. Um, I find them to be very constitutionally questionable. However, again, politicians are going to be uh, aligned, right? They both want to protect themselves from being the victims of deep fakes, uh, deep fake challenges in elections, like, you know, uh, campaign ads and things like that. So I think they're probably aligned in that regard. I will say that the property rights that we just discussed, you know, in New York was the first state to codify st- a statutory right to digital property, uh, right? Let me say that again, a statutory right to one's digital likeness. Um, and that was a result of years of negotiation between the Screen Actors Guild, which basically wanted protections for digital likeness, and movie producers who wanted as much flexibility as possible to create art using digital likenesses. And so it took years, but they came to an agreement and they presented it to their allies in the New York state legislature and they passed it. So that's my, my, uh, my quick thoughts on that. Well, in practical terms, Matt, uh, what can uh, government agencies, uh, companies and organizations in the private sector, what steps can they take now to help protect themselves uh, against being fooled by, by these uh, continuing uh, deep fake efforts? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I think the key is to plan ahead. I mean, like to think of this as a, as a business risk or governance risk like any other like cybersecurity 
So I think they need to make a plan. Uh, they should proactively communicate their positive messages so they're less likely to be the victims of someone spreading false information. They should register copyrights in all of their imagery. So if their imagery is ever used in a deep fake, it makes it at least more likely that they can get it taken down. If there isn't a, an attack, if you will, they should engage with social media platforms. They should speak. They should get their voice out there. And if necessary, they should go to court. And the final thing I'll say as part of the planning is what you might think of as good information awareness or good information hygiene. And that's just simple skepticism, right? I mean, if you receive an email and it's urgent and it's too good to be true, uh, or maybe it's a video call with someone you don't recognize or don't know it that well, you know, take it, take a beat. Make sure you think about whether or not it's true or not. Sometimes it's as simple as asking the person to turn their head to the profile because deepfakes usually will, will be best if they're showing the front of the face and not the side. And so if you have someone turn and it's, it's clearly manipulated, you'll be able to tell. And so there's some things like that. Oftentimes, if you look at LinkedIn uh, photographs of uh, synthetic uh, prof profiles on LinkedIn, their ears won't match up, things like that. So there are stuff like that that, that you can teach people. And then the final thing I'll say, is that there is technology that, that you can use that can help detect deepfakes. It's certainly not foolproof, but it's a start. For those companies that have a crisis management plan in place, and unfortunately not all of them do, uh, but whether they have a plan in place or not, how can uh, government agencies and those in the private sector, how can they practice and test their responses if they are attacked with a uh, deep deepfake uh, situation? I think this really goes back to the idea that deepfake risk is like cybersecurity risk. So I think they need to tabletop. They need to think about how they're going to respond um, and, and just work it through like they would any other crisis. And sometimes it is asking, what steps are we going to take to verify the media? Maybe it is using that technology that I, that I mentioned. Um, maybe it is going to the social media platform. Uh, perhaps it is sending out their own positive messaging to counter whatever negative messaging there is. I, I think actually President Zelensky's response, I mentioned at the top of our talk, was quite spot on. He was a victim of this deepfake that circulated. And then he immediately got on his phone on the streets of Kyiv and he said, it's me. I'm. Of course, we're not surrendering. We won't put our arms down, but for victory. He had already established his brand, as it were, as a communicator. So people knew it, that it was more likely that he would say that than surrender. Um, and then also they had they had trained their people. They had gotten messages out. It's called pre-bunking to tell the people of Ukraine, be on the lookout for false information about our war efforts. So there was a bit of inoculation. So I think all of those things feed into what businesses and federal governments should think about. Do you think uh, those in the private sector and in the government sector, do you think they should be proactive and follow the uh, the Zelensky example you just shared with us and get the word out about uh, to their target audiences, to their customers, to their clients, to the people they work for, uh, and give them a, a proactive warning about deep fakes and some advice about uh, how to recognize them just so they're being proactive to help uh, protect their uh, their corporate or, uh, or government brands? Absolutely. And I'm going to plug a piece that I wrote, Edward. I wrote a piece for CNN in which I discussed this exact thing. I said the Zelensky deepfake has lessons for corporate America. And it was a lot, exactly along those lines, which is pre-bunking, getting the message out there, 
telling people that it's a possibility, uh, being quick to respond, working quickly with social media companies. Zelensky's people did that too to get them taken down. And I think those are all lessons that that corporate managers should learn uh, and learn quickly because I, for all the obvious reasons, human nature being what it is, these risks are only going to get worse. And speaking of getting worse, how much uh, worse or better do you think uh, deep fake uh, technology will get? And how much worse do you think uh, this situation, this threat, this uh, potential crisis uh, could could become for uh, government and uh, uh, private sector organizations? It is remarkable how quickly the quality of deep fakes is improving. I mean, I, I work with companies in this space and what they're doing today is light years better than what they were doing a year ago. And it's going to be way better still a year from today. So uh, it, it is scary. I mean, I think one of the things about working in this space is that you have to sort of embrace the scariness of it. It's a little scary. It's a little frightening. But then you have to think about all the pos- the positive possibilities. And, you know, those are in the arts and in advertising and music and expression. These are it's just opening up a whole new toolbox for people to create things, which is wonderful. But you have to worry about the downsides, too. And that's sort of a fun space for me to be in because I kind of do both. Um, so it is getting both better and more democratized. People, many more people are able to now create deepfakes because of the software being available online. Uh, and then but at the same time, companies and businesses do need to worry about it. Uh, and I think that if they just if they take simple steps now, they can be in a much better position if bad things ever do, in fact, befall them. We're almost out of time, unfortunately. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, share before we end today? No, Edward, this has been great. I guess I would just say that if people are interested in my work on this, uh, I am online and it's me. It's not a deep fake. Uh, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, you can find me through my law firm website, and I'm always happy to answer questions about this as well. Great. We'll be sure sure to share that information um, in the show notes with uh, your website, your social media accounts, your email, and so on. So if uh, people want to follow up, they can uh, contact you directly. My guest today has been Matt Ferraro, a cybersecurity attorney and an expert on deep fakes. Thanks again for joining us today, Matt. Thanks so much, Edward. That's it for this edition of the Crisis Ahead podcast. My guest was Matthew F. Ferraro, a cybersecurity attorney and expert on deep fakes. Early in his career, Matt was a U.S. intelligence officer. He held staff, policy, and operational positions at the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and the Central Intelligence Agency. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights on preparing for, managing, and recovering from a crisis. Or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. Each week, I interview government officials, corporate executives, and experts about different crisis situations and what you can learn from the successful or failed crisis management strategies, tactics, and techniques of others. Future episodes will focus on issues including natural gas leaks, the importance of media training before there's a crisis, cybersecurity, and preparing for the impact of disruptions to supply chains. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you are prepared for it, the better. For more advice on how to prevent, manage, and recover from a crisis, be sure to read my latest stories on Forbes.com, where I'm a leadership strategy senior contributor. 
and check out my best-selling book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies, which is available wherever books are sold. For more information, be sure to visit my website at publicrelations.com. Produced by HeartCast Media.